Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. And we're going to be reading the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also... The one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, he went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So the bag of gold from him, and sorry, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, speak to us by your spirit. Help us to understand your word today and help us to come before it with, with, uh, with an open mind and open heart to receive it. We pray that your spirit will move us, Lord, to, to consider what it looks like for us to approach work with the, uh, with the gospel in our lives. Help us to be a people, Lord, that uh, doesn't separate or categorize our life with different things, but to actually see how the gospel shapes everything we do, including our work and how we uh, spend our time uh, wanting to multiply talents uh, in our lives. So we do pray for that. Uh, now, in your son's name, amen. Uh, so we've, we've called this series The Hustle, right? And, and the hustle is the idea of uh, working, uh, working very hard to achieve your dreams, working really hard, in a sense, to the point of even burnout. It's become a real culture, um, especially amongst uh, millennials, especially amongst the, the next generation. Uh, it's become this phenomenon, the hustle culture. And it has come or has risen, arisen because of social media, really, uh, which is really interesting because everyone sees each other's lives and they, they think about the hustle when you, when you talk about your work and how hard you've been working. Now, what, 
what's really interesting with social media, we've seen everyone's uh, filtered lifestyles and the influencers put in the hustle, but what we've also seen along with the hustle on social media is a huge uptick, uptick with the hashtag goals. Have you guys heard about this, this hashtag, hashtag goals? People use this uh, term to talk about uh, their, the things that they wish they had in life, right? So your friend puts up a photo of their body after going to the gym, they've got a six pack, and you hashtag in the comments, goals. That's what I want. I'd love to have a six pack. Your friend's in a bikini. She's got a really nice body. Hashtag goals. That mum who lost all her pregnancy weight and shares her shredded abs on Facebook. Hashtag goals. That other person who shares how they're working their dream job and they've got this photo at their workplace. Hashtag goals. Your high school mate, right, is traveling the world. Got a photo of himself uh, in first class, soaking up the sun on the Greek islands. Hashtag goals. Travel goals. You know, your friend's driving a Maserati. Ferrari, whatever, and, and posted pics on Instagram. What a sexy car. Hashtag goals. Your friend, <laughs> we see this a lot. Your friend puts up a picture of their boyfriend who popped into work with a dozen roses for no reason at all, you know, no reason at all right? Hashtag relationship goals. <laughs> Just recently, this last week, I, I came across, I saw this, me, uh, this viral thing. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but this guy called Johnny Kim, right? He became a Navy SEAL, a doctor, an astronaut before the age of 40. Hashtag goals, right? He achieved so much before the age of 40. What do we think about when we use this word goals, right? The normal definition is we set goals in life, an aim that we want to achieve uh, in life. But when we're hashtagging goals on social media particularly, what we're doing is we're glorifying these filtered and usually highly unattainable goals. I'm never going to be a Navy SEAL doctor and astronaut before the age of 40. Not at this rate, right? And what happens is we usually leave ourselves feeling unfulfilled, disappointed, even inferior. We become uh, discontent that our life doesn't look like that, but we'll comment hashtag goals. And the grim, the very grim underlying message that we're telling ourselves in those moments is hashtag my life is sad, even inferior compared to yours. We compare our friends and our bodies and our jobs and our relationships and we get depressed because it's just so mediocre compared to what we see online. You see, what social, what social media has done is amplified our discontentment with our lives, comparing our lives with others uh, on, online. And this isn't a new thing, is it? Before social media was around, we're always comparing our lives. My parents would always compare my life with their friends' kids. Like, why aren't you more like them? They're thinking in their head, that's hashtag goals. I want my kid to be like that. I want my kid to be, become a doctor when they're older or an engineer, whatever. That's what they were thinking. The same thing without the social media. And so this is what we do. We all compare. We hustle. We work long hours because we believe that that, that narrative, the financial independence, the wealth, the status, it will give us what we're told is the good life. And while that sounds so tempting, and while that sounds so alluring, is this truly the way to the good life? As Christians who put their trust in God's handbook for life, what should our hashtag goals be? What does it actually mean to live for God? What should we be striving for in this life? Should our hashtag goals be defined by what we achieve or who we're becoming? What exactly are God's hashtag goals for you? I'm going to stop saying that. Goals for you and for me. In the first week, we heard how the design of work was designed to be originally good at creation. When God created the world, work was actually a good thing. It was a joyful thing. 
We all, uh, Adam and Eve, the, the first men and women who were created, they enjoyed going to work each day. It was a great thing. But then what happened? Work was frustrated. It became difficult, even pointless at times. It bears thorns and thistles, as Genesis 3 tells us, when sin entered the world. Last week, what we saw was how we, could, uh, we can redeem our work. We can work in a way where Jesus is our greater boss. We can have an approach to work where we're operating not with uh, idleness, laziness, but not treating work as an idol that we worship either, but we worship out of an identity given to us by God where Jesus is our boss. This week, I really want us to think about our faithfulness as Christians. What does that actually look like in our work? What do our goals look like as workers in this world? This is part three of our series. If you haven't uh, heard the other ones last two weeks, get online. They're all on our podcast, on our website. You can catch up because you have to understand the context of where I'm going with today's sermon uh, from, from the previous talks. Now that we have that, though, what we're doing is we're going to look at Matthew, that, uh, Matthew 25 that Mike just read for us about these servants given talents, these bags of gold, these talents, and what they do with it. Uh, it's a parable told by Jesus, and it's really straightforward. Right? There are three servants. Uh, uh, they have a master. Each of these servants is given an amount of talents. Right? I'm going to keep using that word, not bags of gold. They're given talents. Uh, the Greek word actually is talenton here. If you ever read your Greek Bible, you might not have one. Uh, but the original Greek language, when it was first written, they used the word talenton, which, which does mean a weight or sum of money. So you can understand why the Bible chose to use bags of gold. It's a weight or sum of money, talenton. One talent would have been equivalent to 20 years worth of wages. It's a lot of money, right? 20 years worth of wages for a laborer in the ancient Middle East. That's how much a talent is worth. So you got five talents to the fir- given to the first servant. That would have been enough money to last a lifetime, right? Five times 20, quick maths, 100 years worth of wages given to the first servant. It's a lot of money, which tells us what about the master. The master is, is cashed up, isn't he? The master has a lot of money. So he's giving five talents to the first servant. Uh, Interestingly, this idea of talent and this idea of talent from, this, from, from the original Greek language, the English word talent actually comes from here. And, and, and so we understand talent as what usually? Like natural ability, things we're good at. That's what a talent is in our English language. Uh, but that's, that's just side note. Uh, five servants get, f- the first servant gets five talents and the second gets two talents and the third gets one talent. Uh, master's rich, Forbes top 10 list, the master goes away, servants get to work. The first servant, he starts up a business. He starts trading it. And what, did, what, what happens? He doubles the original amount. He makes five more talents. The second did the same, makes two more talents. But the third, who received the one talent, buried it under the ground to keep it and hide it. Now, this wasn't, it sounds weird, but it wasn't uncommon practice back then, right? You don't have uh, safes. You don't have a bank to store the money in. Uh, there were bankers, but they weren't banks where you could keep your money safe. So people would bury their money, like, Think about pirates, right? Pirates bury their treasure. They put a big X on a map so you don't forget where you put it. That's what people would do, actually, in ancient cultures, bury their money. That's what the third guy does, which, which actually, if, if we talk to any of the guys here in finance, you know that's a bad idea, right? You're not getting any interest on that. You're losing money because inflation makes your money. It's a bad idea. Burying your money was already a bad idea from the start. Now, the master returns. What happens? The first servant goes to the master, says, I'm of, I've multiplied the talents. I've made five more talents. Let's look at the master's response. This is really interesting. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. This is the first thing I want to say. Faithfulness 
looks like fruitfulness. Faithfulness looks like fruitfulness. For, for, for the master, being faithful looks like multiplying the talents that were given. You know, when the sermon is responsible with what he's given, finding opportunities to multiply and, and just the sheer hard work that would involve, the master gives him credit. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? This servant wasn't setting goals for his own life. He was setting goals to please the master. That was the work the servant was involved in. But what else? He gets promoted and given more. The master says, uh, you know, I'm going to put you in charge of more now because I can trust you. And this last line is really, it's, it says, enter into the joy of the master. Right? You're not a slave. You're not a servant anymore. You're now sharing the wealth and the joy that the master enjoys. Enter into the joy. It's the highest privilege you can be rewarded, being in the presence of the master himself. Same thing happens to the second servant. He doubles his talents. He has two talents. He multiplies that by two, so he has four talents. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. What happens when the third comes on? Instead of multiplying talents, he speaks. Th the third servant says, oh, I, I, I know that you're a hard and you're a strict man who makes everyone else do your work. He attacks the character of the master, doesn't he? So he, he just shifts the blame. Oh, I know that you're a strict guy, so I didn't want to do anything. Uh, in fear, I buried and sat on it. The master responds, you know this about me, yet you, you did this wickedly and sloth, slothfully. You were lazy. You know this about me. You were irresponsible with the talent I gave you. And so the master rejects him. He casts him out of his presence. He's not entering the joy of the master. He's rejected. Now let me explain why Jesus is telling us this parable. Right? That's what happens in the parable. In chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, you've got to understand the context. We're not going to read this in without knowing the context. He's teaching his disciples, he's teaching the people around him about how, how God's people are called to live in light of the end, that the end times are coming. One day Jesus will return. One, day's our, one day our lives will come to an end. How will we live this life as God's people patiently waiting for that day to come? Right? This, he's not trying to teach about um, sort of our salvation, you know, works-based salvation. If you uh, multiply talents, you'll get saved. If you don't, then you will be cast into hell. He's not talking about a works-based salvation here. He's talking to people who know God already, and he's speaking that to them to consider how will you live your life now in light of who you are as God's people. So if you do have time, read the other uh, parables before this, and you'll understand why he's talking about the end times. So that's the context. How will you be responsible patiently waiting with the resources entrusted to you. Will you, in your faith, serve God in this life? That's the focus. The context is key. So what do we glean from this? The first point, knowing that faithfulness leads to fruit, the first point that I want us to, to, to understand under this idea is that God has gifted us all with talents. That's the first thing we need to get, right? Get talents, Gifts, abilities, skills, passions, in, in the English sense, we've all been given talents. Earlier, we did interview Billy. He is so much more creative than I am, right? Small fact that he didn't mention, he also did a graphic design course, right? Yeah, how do you have time for all that? Yeah, he did a graphic design course, uh, and he's, a, he's just a natural designer. I've seen some of his work, and, and this was like 10 years ago when he did this. Um, but some of us here are wired very creatively. Not all of us. Some are, are really uh, gifted and talented, um, being sharp and calculated with their, with their problem-solving skills. Uh, attention to detail, all that stuff. We all have different skills. We all know that. And, and with those skills or those talents, we apply them to our work, don't we? Uh, we're not all going to be architects here. 
We're not all going to be pastors here. You apply them to your side hustle, your nine to five, whatever it might be. We've all been given talents. Let's, let's broaden our definition of talents for a moment, though, for, this, for, the, for the sake of this. What if talents also meant our opportunities? Yeah, yes, our resources, our money, our bags of gold, you could say, uh, but talents in terms of our natural abilities, our opportunities, our uh, status and position even in society, and our resources. God has given, gifted us with everyone here with different talents. You do have different skills. You do have different opportunities as well. You have different levels of IQ, brains, book smart, street smart, levels of confidence, levels of charisma even. We have different levels here and different talents. God says use all the tools in your arsenal to grow God's assets in the world. Use your talents to grow God's assets in the world because we all have been given talents. So stop for a moment and take note of this. If God has given us talents, we, how, what are we doing with them? See, when we think about our work, we're given our work, our talents to glorify God. Often here at Providence, we always say during our, our collection spiel that our money is actually God's money. We've been gifted our money by God. All our circumstances, the opportunity to work, the opportunity to get paid and have a salary, well, like, God provided that for us. It's God's money. Why don't we do the same about our work? Do we believe the same thing about our work, that we have work because God provided that for us? Because we got to go to uh, university or we got to get trained up. We got the experience that other people didn't have. God provided all those experiences, those opportunities, those talents. Let's be realistic for a second. When we look around the world, we live in the privileged West, don't we? You guys have been given opportunities that other people around the world don't have. If you grew up in a third world country, you wouldn't have the same opportunities that we have today here living in Brisbane, growing up in Brisbane. Many of us are from privileged homes. We came from homes that had more resources than others. Some, for some, that's, you know, some have more skills. We're born with more skills and wits than others. They're just natural abilities. And that's the way the world looks like. It's pretty obvious. I, I don't have to paint this for you guys. Our lives do look different. What will you do with yours, with your talents? Most importantly, if we're to begin with who we are in Christ, again, last week's our identity, that we've been gifted with salvation, life through faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, will you seek out using your talents, your opportunities, your finances, your abilities, your skills to do God's work in the world, to magnify Christ? See, at the end of the day, the master isn't judging on the basis of how many talents you have. Some have more than others. Yeah, for sure. Some people have a lot more skills than I do. But he's judging on the basis of how, of how we use our talents with the talents we've been given. What will you do? Will we be responsible with this life that we have and offer it to the master? Second principle, talents are used for God's work. Your work plays a part in society caring for the world, whether you're a cleaner or an accountant. You can do your job honoring God with it as, as he has called you to do it. Be the best optometrist you can be. Be the best personal trainer you can be. Be the best financial advisor you can be. And as you do that, allow your faith to shape it. You see, the fruit of God's work looks like a person who is kind, loving, gentle, patient, all those things, caring, compassionate, loving the poor, a whole host of characteristics that ooze Christ in your everyday. And the people you interact with, your neighbor, will be blessed as a result of those interactions with you. That's how you can use your talents for God's work. If you're growing in your faith and your faith in Jesus shapes how you approach your work, you have integrity and honesty, you're blessing people around you. That's what kicking goals for God should look like. 
Work changes uh, from an identity marker. It's not your identity anymore, but it's something uh, or, or something to fulfill your potential. You know, we think work is to fulfill our potential, but instead it's a vocation for you to serve God and magnify Jesus through. I want you to understand this is really important to get first, okay? Everyone's work is equal before God. It's all dignified. It's, it's, it's important to make the world go around. We all play a part in the world. We can honor God with doing our work well. Then this is a quick side. Why do I need to say this? Because in the past, uh, say medieval Christianity, right? Back when uh, there was only the Catholic Church around, they would make a big deal about this, the sacred and the secular. If your job was a priest or a nun, they would say your job is more valuable and important than the plumber or the baker. And then came along the reformers in the 1500s, Martin Luther and the Protestant church corrected that bad theology. It's whatever we do, whatever work we're involved in, when we work for Jesus, that glorifies God. There is no sacred and secular divide. We can worship and, and, and do our secular work in a sacred manner because we worship God in the way that we work hard. We image God. We're a reflection of God when we do our work well. It glorifies God. Whether or not we're a full-time paid ministry like the pastor is, uh, everyone's work is just as valuable. But let me say this also. While all work is valuable and important, let's consider those who are, there are people here I know, who are naturally inclined to hustle harder and set big goals to achieve and, and are more ambitious, right? Some of us do want to work up the ladder, and that's fine. Because the one who holds the five talents are the ones who have more talents, more opportunities. We should make the most of those opportunities. I do think that there are things in this world that will have a greater impact. If you are able to make the most of your position, your opportunities and your talents, you can have more of a strategic influence. Do you guys know what I'm trying to say here? Right? I'm talking about leadership roles. If you have the opportunity to be a leader in your workplace, take it. You can influence so many more people when you're in that role. Uh, some here have that extra talent. Some here have that extra aptitude, the skill, the high energy, the high capacity, where you can run a business, where you can run a whole company. You can run the nation, potentially, if you're wide that way. Not all of us can. But if that opportunity arises and you're built for it, you've been given the talents, the five talents or ten talents, whatever, you've got the big brain, the, the high grades, the connections, you get noticed, you've got the promotions at work, whatever it might be, if you can take that executive level position while still balancing your faithfulness to your family and to your church and to your friends, take the advancement, the promotion. Why? Because you can shape a whole company with your values. Another example, say you have thousands of followers who read your stuff on social media, who listen to you speak or, or follow you, right? Use your talents. Those are opportunities that you have to multiply God's work. Uh, there's a, a Bible college professor, and he's an author in the U.S., Dan Doriani. He speaks about this in his book, Work That Makes a Difference. It's worthwhile getting. He talks about how the CEO is not more valuable or honorable or pleasing God. All work is equal before God, but he or she does have more influence. And so if any of us has rare and strategic skills like leadership skills, um, or you're just, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, uh, the algorithms work for you, whatever it is, use your position your influence to multiply God's work. If you can be a leader, then do that. If you can be a high rank, the head surgeon in your hospital, great. If you can become the next prime minister, you've got my support. Do it in a way that others can see that your ethics, your values are shaped by your faith. Do it with integrity and a heart for, to, to love God and to love people. But as you chase those goals, do it with an ambition to please and honor the master, God, 
while living out faithfulness in all other spheres of your life, which is very hard to do, the balance. For the majority of us plebs here, you might be thinking, God only gave me one talent. I don't have five. That's okay. It doesn't matter. That's actually liberating, isn't it? Because God isn't on about how much you can achieve, but who you're becoming and what you're doing, how responsible the responsibilities that have been entrusted to you, what are you doing with them? When we're passive or when we work in a way that's self-glorifying, we're rejecting, we're, we're, we're burying our talent, aren't we? None of us should be satisfied living the unemployed life on the dole. That, that lifestyle doesn't honor God. Whatever work or career or level of work, out, work hard for the Lord Jesus. I'm saying work hard is a good thing. Use your talents to make much of God in this world when God is the influence in your life. The third thing about fruitfulness, uh, faithfulness and fruitfulness is this. God's work in this world is ultimately to bring people, ultimately to bring people to know Him. It is to make disciples. Multiplying our talents means multiplying God's kingdom as well. Every Christian, regardless of title or status or career, is called to do God's work in this world. God's work is to bring people to know Him and worship Him. It's to make disciples. We're called into that business. It's like the family business, right? When I grew up, my parents had a family business. Me and five of my sisters, we all had to work in this family business. We didn't have a choice. The difference is when we're in the business of, of making disciples with Jesus, it's something we want to do. It's not something you're forced to do like my parents made us, but it's something you, you want to do. It's your natural desire because you get to follow in the footsteps of our risen Savior. Now, don't hear me wrong, right? Your number one job is to do your job. Your number one job is to do your job faithfully and fruitfully. You're not getting paid by your boss to spend eight hours a day talking about Jesus, unfortunately. I get to do that. Uh, but if your job is a, a nuclear physicist, you can't do that. You must work well, work with integrity, and be a model of faith for your employer and amongst your co-workers. But your vision in life, your calling in life over every vocation, over every role you'll play is to be a Christian and to live out the goals God has set for you in this life. That looks like proclaiming Jesus. That looks like making disciples. That's why you might often hear Christians say, you know, we're all called to full-time ministry in the sense that you're all called to, we're all called to do God's work whether you're paid or not for, for it, whether it's your career or not, whether it's your vacation or not. Let me help you understand why you should view part of your work or calling in this way, because it's actually in the Bible. Uh, but let me draw some lines for you. We spoke about a couple of weeks that God designed work to be good for humanity, right? A creation. So in Genesis 1.20, the first chapter of the Bible, at the very beginning, God gives humankind this commission. Be, I think I've got it on the screen. Uh, be fruitful. Uh, increase in number. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it, right? work and take care of the creation. But we're not just people who follow the creation mandate for work, are we? We're also Christians. Right? So Genesis 1 is there for, for all people. You're all called to do work. Yes, subdue, take care of the earth, take care of creation. But we're Christians. And what happens later on? Jesus gives us a new lens, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 1, uh, chapter 28, sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, there's a new calling. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, what Jesus does is he does call us to be fruitful and multiply, not through making lots of babies, <laughs> fruitful and multiply through multiplying disciples. That's the new work he calls us to as new covenant Christians. 
But let me give you a few more verses so to, to, to build my argument here. John 4, 34 says this. It says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him, God, who sent me, and to finish His work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Jesus is saying, I'm doing God's work. That's bringing in the harvest. That means bringing in people who don't know Jesus yet, who don't know God yet, to have a relationship with God. That reaping and sowing, that idea, we're, we're going to bring in the harvest. Jesus does God's work. And he does it, eventually, we know, he goes to the cross and he dies for the sin of humankind and is raised again in three days so that you and I, when we put our faith, we can know God and be brought back. The harvest can be reaped. We can be brought back into a relationship with God. We can live a life that honors him. You see what Jesus' ministry was about? It was about making disciples. That's his business. That's his work. Later on in John 14, this is what he says to his disciples. He says, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Do you see what's going on? The work that Jesus was doing is the same work that he commands us to do. The work of bringing in the harvest, making, disi making disciples. If you are a believer in Jesus today, if you call yourself a Christian, right? You, this is the business you and I are called into. Your works, your life is a display of the trustworthiness of Jesus proclaiming him to others. One more verse I'll give you guys from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Fully. Not 30%, not 10% of yourself, not just Sundays. Don't just give Sundays to the work of the Lord. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. If you believe in Jesus, if you've been saved by faith through His grace, and mercy at the cross. If you believe that you worship Jesus in your life above your, your work, above your identity, above yourself, regardless of your title, regardless of your vocation, your career, what you do from Monday uh, to Friday, 9 to 5, you and I are called to this work. To be fruitful, to multiply disciples. It's not just the pastor's work, not just the missionary's work, it's the Christian's work. Let me repeat, all that work does matter to God. Because when we work hard, we're loving our neighbor and we're loving God through doing good, honest work. We want to be a light in our workplaces. We want to uh, love and respect our bosses. But even non-believers can go into their workplaces, be a loving person, do their honest work, and be hardworking. Even non-believers who don't believe in God can do honest, hard work. There's a difference there, isn't there, with us as Christians. We have heard already that our work is temporary. Nothing lasts. An echo into eternity. Our minds do go dull. Our hands do, do get shaky. The building we did design and built, the, the piece of art that we painted, the education that we passed on, whatever our work is, we're not taking it to the next world. You know, I studied law um, back when I was at university, and every couple of years the law textbooks change and you spend all this money on law textbooks that you can't resell because the law changes and it's so frustrating and i imagine if you're a le lecturer lecturing law you have to always come up with new material because the law changes imagine spending years preparing something that just changes the next day that's our work isn't it it's frustrating we're not going to take it to the next world but there is a higher calling a work to do and that's our responsibility we've been given talents 
to multiply disciples, to proclaim the risen Lord Jesus. And I get it, right? You might not, have, you might not be uh, able to do it during your work hours. You might have to find your lunch breaks. You might have to go to Friday after work drinks to create those opportunities. But the calling is for all of us here to participate in. Whether you're a plumber, a teacher, a sandwich maker, your faith in Jesus, if you're a Christian, is to do the work of God. Bring in the harvest. Now, uh, someone asked me a few weeks ago, what if your job, you don't get to meet people in your job? What if you're a temp worker, you work from home, uh, you're a contract worker, you can't build a relationship? Yes, that happens to some people. Right? You don't have the opportunity to meet new people. But you do. We all do have hours outside of our 40 hours a week, don't we? We do have opportunities to meet people who share the same hobbies as us, don't we? At the very least, we come on Sundays and we meet people who don't often go to church that we can encourage and love and share the gospel with, speak truth to. We're all called to do the, long, the Lord's work. Here's my fear for you. If you're not evangelizing or meeting non-Christians in your life, if you're not actively praying for or seeking opportunities to proclaim Jesus and make disciples, if you are living in a Christian bubble, are you doing the work of Christ and bringing the harvest? Christ says, those who believe in me will do my work. Let's not make excuses like the third servant who just buried the town and dismissed the master. Because that attitude is one of unfaithfulness to God, and it's a rejection of him. Peter Orr, he's a Bible college lecturer in Sydney, and he writes this in a Christian journal. He says this, Whatever their employment, Christians can and must glorify the Lord through their work. The way they do that uh, through their work means their work has meaning and significance and is valuable, yes. Nevertheless, it is also true that the work of evangelism and edification is the work that the Lord is doing in the world through his people. We must not lose this priority. It is this work that Paul gave his life to. It is this work that Paul's colleagues risked their lives for. The resurrection means that it is this work that every Christian can and must give themselves to. I think this is actually really important for us to reflect on. You've received the good news. Jesus has died for you. We believe, you believe, right? God loves you and is worthy of your worship. You believe that there is heaven and hell. And the only way to, to God is to believe in Jesus. What are you going to do with that information? Will you bury it in the ground and leave it there? Our lives are short. We spend so many hours in the hustle. What is it? 90,000 hours, they say, of, in, on average of our lives given to work. So that we can reach our goals, we can realize our potential, we can live lavish, luxurious lifestyles, get that six-pack abs. But no one is taking their work to heaven, are they? Right? I know some of you guys are, are doctors in the room. You guys give over 10 years of your life, long hours of overtime to get to a position that you set as your goal. And that's great and all. I know that's what it takes to get to that position. But we all know how temporary that is. After death, we don't need doctors in heaven. Your med degree is not going to do anything for you. It's still good. Be a doctor. I think it's great because you can serve and love a lot of people. But I'm in the same boat. I'm a pastor. Heaven doesn't need any more pastors. We have Jesus there. <laughs> They don't need insurance salesmen. They don't need plumbers. They don't need these, these jobs. We've got to see that our life is temporary. But you know what? There is a work that we can do that will ripple into eternity. It's the work of God. So practically, I want you to consider what that might look like for you. Right? If gospel work is a priority for the Christian to participate in. Because I look around the room and I see that God has given, has actually spoiled our church with talents and opportunities and abilities. 
I was talking to a friend earlier this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and she spends one morning a week going into uh, the local primary school to teach religious education, scripture class, to kids. You might be in a position where you can take half a day off work or work a four-day week to do that. Uh, Serena was here, we, we interviewed her last week, and she was talking about how she took a day off work so she could enroll at, in a course at Bible College, so she could learn how to better teach scriptures to, to women. It might mean you give up a, a night of, of soccer or dance class so you can join a team of people to serve our city. You might want to go and join one of the, 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 the food drives, you know, feeding the homeless and using those opportunities to speak to the gospel. Or it might mean you use that night at dance class or soccer to build relationships with your teammates, getting a drink after, chatting about matters of faith, being intentional in those relationships. You might be, uh, we don't have any of our parents here, um, but if you are a parent, and maybe this is for you if you're a future parent, where it's so easy to meet people. People actually come and talk to you because of your baby, because your baby's always, like, is, is always really cute. And they'll come to you and they'll initiate, and they're like, wow, your baby's so cute. What's her name? How old is she? And then you say something like, oh, her name is Talitha. It's really meaningful for me because it's about Jesus, how he raises a dead girl to life. And then you just tell them about the gospel in that moment, and they didn't ask for it. But, you know, <laughs> that's what happens, right? People want to talk to you because you have a baby. Uh, it, it's so easy. There's so many mums and bubs groups that you go to Gansi on a, on a weekday, everyone's pushing brams. Go to City Council Library, they do readings to kids. So many opportunities to meet people for mums and dads if you want to do that. I know there's not many mums and dads in the room today, but you might have a dog and you're a fur, ba- you, you're a fur parent, right? Is that what you call it yourself? Uh, you have a baby and it's your dog. Go to the local dog park. It's the same thing. Wow, wow, your fur baby is so cute. What's her name? How old is she? Yeah, and then you go, oh, can I get your digits? Let's have, let's have a doggy date again sometime. You can meet people at the dog park. It's happened before. I've met people at the dog park. Maybe your talents that God gave you was in the realm of hospitality. He blessed you with a home, a house. Open up your house. Get people, your Christian friends and your non-Christian friends, together in your house so you can share life together. You can chat. You can eat. You can play poker. You can build relationships. I 100% invite me over. I 100% want to meet your non-Christian friends. I'm sure other people here want to meet your non-believing friends. Invite them over. This is how we can do God's work in the world, outside of those 40 hours if we don't have time. God has blessed many of us here with with financial aptitude. Like like Phil was saying earlier, everything's about money these days. And I know people are investing their money in crypto and all that sort of stuff. Maybe God has given you this financial brain and you're making a, 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 a ton of money. And you want to consider how can you use your money to fund the next full-time pastor in our church or, or missionary or fund a church building you know, even so we can do more ministry and mission out of. Let's think about our position and our talents and our opportunities and be creative, find ways on doing the Lord's work. But you know what? The talents and opportunities that some of you might have in this room, and I've been plugging this if you notice in our interviews each week, maybe for you it is actually to go into full-time ministry. Maybe for you, it is actually going to full-time paid ministry to, be, to become a, the next pastor, the next missionary, doing the Lord's work in a full-time capacity. Maybe it is you. We have about 100 people on our role here at church that call Providence our home. I'm always praying for that. I'm praying that God will raise up the next generation of pastors and leaders in churches, church planters. It, maybe God is saying to you, Quit chasing the career because I want, to, I want you to spend the rest of your years and days that you have left in this world doing the Lord's work, to be in the work of changing lives and saving souls full-time. 
You know, there's this um, really well-known story uh, it, it, in interviews and, and, and articles about Steve Jobs. You guys know who Steve Jobs is? He started the Apple uh, company. Uh, how he recruited John Scully, the CEO of Apple, right? This is, it's really interesting because previously, John Scully, he worked for Pepsi, right? Pepsi, the drink. Uh, so he was the CEO of Pepsi, the soft drink. It wasn't until Steve Jobs approaches him, and he, this is what he says to John, John Scully. He says, John, do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Wow, Steve Jobs, man, he knows how to recruit. That question actually made John quit his job at Pepsi and go work for Apple when Apple wasn't even a big deal. Let me ask that question to you. Do you want to change the world? You can go on selling sugared water for the rest of your life, or you could be in the business of changing, changing the world, multiplying disciples for the kingdom. Maybe the call for you is to do the Lord's work in a full-time capacity. Maybe it's not. Either way, as we think about the practicalities of faithfulness and fruitfulness, we can't dismiss God's call for every Christian in whatever line of work we're in. We're called to do His work in the world. So let me finish. Let's set some goals in life. Not for our glory, but for God's glory. Let's set some goals considering how faithfulness and fruitfulness can shape the way we approach our work engaging with the world and doing the Lord's work of making disciples as we navigate through life and all the vocations and roles we play. Yes, we do have to factor in the Spirit's work. Right? We can go about work uh, and making disciples, but it's God who ultimately transforms and changes, converts hearts. That's true. But nevertheless, we have only one life. Let's be responsible with it. Let's participate in God's work as He called us to so that one day we'll be able to stand before Him confident that our work will receive his welcome and will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we do know that at times we can get so consumed by the hustle and our work and our goals that we've set for our lives. And in doing so, Lord, it's so easy for us to, in our being consumed with it, that it becomes our idol. It becomes the only thing that we live for and we forget that we're called to do the Lord's work. Help us, Lord, to be your people, to have a bigger vision of our lives, to step back and have a greater perspective that we actually live for eternity. And that while our work is temporary and it's good to do and we can honor you through our work, help us to do that, but help us to also think how we can also make ripples into eternity. Father, help us by your Spirit, move our hearts, create in us a longing and love to, to, to make disciples uh, and to do your work and to do uh, the work you've called us to do in this world and to do that well with integrity, with honesty, and, and in a, in a, with an attitude to glorify your name above our own. So help us to set those goals in life. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.